Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. This is your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And today we want to at least attempt to take your mind off all that's going on. We ourselves are overwhelmed with the ongoing health crisis, not only in our city, county, state, or nation, but we want to extend prayers and good vibes, whichever you want to receive, all across the world. We have listeners in every corner of the globe and want you all to know that you're not alone. We're all in this together, regardless of what your political beliefs are or what your thoughts are regarding the coronavirus. We all, all of us together. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Are going through the uncertainty, fear, and concerns, whether it's the virus itself, which for me... As a hypochondriac. As a hypochondriac. Can you just imagine what my brain is doing? I mean, it's constant. I'm putting... Let me tell you what is going on. Go ahead. Tell them what's going on. If we leave the house, which is basically never now, we have to undress in the garage before we're allowed to step foot in the house, including shoes, and we have to get into the shower, washing our hair, even if you've washed it that morning, which girls, you're not supposed to do that to your hair, but mom doesn't care. I don't I don't care. I, I don't care. Do you know how many viruses are on like your shoes anyways? I mean, just in general. Okay, but if you sp- literally sp- walk, ma- spray us down with Lysol. I don't and spray you down with Lysol. Through Stop Lysol it. Again, no, I don't do then that. There's nothing Stop on acting like I do that. I don't do that. You you literally said grab I'm Lysol spraying. and spray dad down before he gets in the house. With your literal exact words. <laughs> well, because he's gross. Okay. Boys don't wash their hands enough. Like they just don't. And he thinks half of this is like I'm being paranoid. And I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't. I don't care what the Postmates man thinks of me when I told him to just leave it there and walk away. I don't care. I mean, at least I'm ordering Postmates. I tipped him well. Okay. I don't care. I don't care. I'm being safe, and it's hard to know. Well, I saw that thing, and I don't know if I told you this that um, the meme about the virus being like glitter yes, on your hands. You said it 800 times, and every time we talk to someone on the phone, you also say it. Well, because I'm trying to educate people. Okay. I, it's, I don't care. I don't care. We're being safe. But having are said that. Are you not going to tell them about the glitter? No, are well, they, they can the first Google, Google, <laughs> go, go ahead and Google um, coronavirus glitter and it'll, it'll show you what it means. But it's like how glitter sticks to your hands and then you touch a glass and then I leave the glass on the counter and then Haley picks up the glass to put it in the dishwasher. So now the glitter's on her. So it kind of just helps you think more. I mean, maybe obsessively like me. I don't know. I'd be interested. I want to know what people are doing. Are people being obsessive like me? I mean, I don't want to get in a debate about it. So don't post if you don't, don't agree at all. But I mean, if people, I'm curious how obsessive people are being. If they're, I'm not spraying people with Lysol. So stop it. Okay. I sprayed his shoes with Lysol. Stop. Okay. All right. Whatever. But whether the virus itself is concerning you or financial worry, like it is in our house, we went from three working adults to one, which is me. I'm very blessed to get to work from home. 
Um, although if my husband comes into my office again to show me a video of what the dogs did in the next room, I might quit. He's very bored. He's very bored. He needs things to do. So he videotapes and takes pictures of the dogs. And which, by the way, we have a foster dog. So I want to encourage people to do that, too. If you have the ability to foster an animal during this crisis that we're going through, it is the most rewarding thing in the world. It is amazing to have. I mean, we were lucky. We have Fred, and we'll post a picture of Fred on our Instagram, but we were lucky with him. He's not crazy. He's such a good puppy. Um, But I would love to encourage people to reach out to rescues and shelters and see if you could foster a pet during this entire time. But the other thing I want to do, I want to say a special hi to Anna. She was, we call her our first fan. Uh, I don't think that we have fans, we have listeners, but Anna was the first one to sign up for our Patreon and always comment on our Instagram. And Anna is in Italy right now. So I also would love, um, we'll post about this episode. If you want to go on our Instagram or our Facebook page and send a message to Anna on um, in, in the comments, I would love that too. Anna has been quarantined for a while in Italy and we're, we're thinking of you often. Today, like I said, we'd just like to entertain you. We aren't going to go into a dark, unsolved murder or a true crime episode. We want to bring something a little bit lighter and strange. At least it might give you something to do. I've been doing some research on some stories through history and throughout the world. And although I'm not going in depth on any one story, it hopefully gives you something to do. If you want to go in depth on any of these um, stories and tell a deeper story, you feel free to write an entire episode. If you want to send us an episode on one of the strange stories we're doing today that goes deeper into what I've been, I'm going to be telling you, by all means, spend your quarantine time writing us a script and we'll do an entire episode on one of these stories, right? Sure. Uh, the first one, and I tried to kind of go across the globe and find different stories. The first one is out of England, and I'm just going to just go straight into the story. One day at harvest time, the villagers of Woolpit in the county of Suffolk discovered two children, a boy and a girl, brother and sister. Their skin was green, and they spoke a language that no one understood, and their clothing was slightly different than anything anyone had seen. They refused any food, except for one day they saw raw broad beans, which they consumed wholeheartedly. The children gradually adapted to more normal food and in time lost their green color. The boy, who appeared to be younger of the two, became sickly and died soon after being discovered. The girl, though, learning to speak English, explained that they came from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. She told them, that, she told the people that she came from a place called St. Martin's Land where everything was green. According to her, the children were unable to account for their arrival in Woolpit. They had been with herding their father's cattle when they heard a loud noise and they suddenly found themselves by the wolf pit where they were found. She says that they had become lost when they followed the cattle into a cave and after being guided by the sound of bells emerged into our land, which the villagers are making a face. Because all I can think about is aliens. <laughs> I'm going to tell an alien story so you'll get your well, fix. green people. Well, no, they're not green okay, aliens. Whatever. They're just, their skin is green. They look like people. I don't know, whatever. They just came out of nowhere. Aliens. Okay, so a planet with cattle and green people. Aliens. Okay. They didn't say the cattle was green. Oh, she did say everything was green. Everything. The um, townsfolk who found them believe that the bells that they heard were their church bells ringing because that's like about the time that they found them. Or the spaceship calling them to come home. Maybe, I don't know. The woman, though, the girl, the, the boy had died. The woman, though, went on to marry. She lost most of her green hue and lived her life. She just went on to get married and lived her life. 
not green anymore. No, not green. This is way back. I think it was in the 1400s. Coming back to the U.S., I'm curious if we have any listeners in Ohio. I don't know if Jocelyn is still listening, but she's in Ohio. Uh, the wow signal. Now, this one should interest you, Haley. It was detected by astronomer Jerry Eman using Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Telescope in 1977. It is a radio signal detector that at the time was pointed at the constel- constellation Sagittarius. While scanning the skies, Eman heard a burst of radio waves. He circled the reading and wrote wow next to it, which this piece of paper, this printout still exists which is where the name came from because he had written wow on it. The entire signal sequence lasted for the full 72-second window during which the big ear was able to observe it, but it has not been detected since, despite several subsequent attempts by others. Many hypotheses have been advanced on the origin of the emission, including natural and human-made sources, but none of them adequately explains the signal. For anyone involved with SETI, do you know what SETI stands for? Miss o UFO gal? No, but it's it's some group, right? Have you heard of it before? Yeah. It um, stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, S-E-T-I. Yeah. After numerous attempts, the signal has never been observed again and remains unexplained. So the wow signal. Just like every other yeah. alien well, signal we're gonna, is unexplained. We're going go, to go to a paranormal story now. We are going to go back across the pond in Northumberland, England. In 1957, tragedy struck the family of John and Florence Pollock and their two young daughters, Joanna, who was 11, and Jacqueline, 6. Now, this one's going to really trip you out because I know you've read books about this. They were a happy, successful family, and the two girls were said to be best friends and inseparable. But then on May 7, 1957, their life turned upside down when a car driven by a local woman who had taken an overdose of aspirin and phenobarbitone. She was actually attempting to kill herself. She struck the two Pollock children and their friend who were, were walking on their way to church. The two Pollock children were killed instantly in the air. A witness reportedly said that they looked like they were flying through the air like cricket balls. Like that's how hard she hit them. The other child with him, who is a boy named Anthony, died later at the hospital. A year later, on October 4th, 1958, this is a year after the, boy, the, the girls had died, Florence gave birth to twin girls, whom they named Jennifer and Jillian. They had no idea that they were having twins because during exams, only one heartbeat had been heard. So the fact that they were having twins shocked them. The younger twin was born with scars and birthmarks on her body that were identical to her sister who died, Jacqueline. As the girls got older, they weirdly began to ask for toys that had belonged to their deceased sisters, and they were not toys that they knew of. Like, they grew up not knowing that they had siblings that had been killed in a car accident, and the parents had taken the toys and put them in an attic and never brought them down again. They couldn't bear to get rid of them, but they also didn't want their new daughters to play with their deceased sisters' stuff, so they had hidden them away. But the twins started to ask for them. And then when they were given the toys, they were able to name all the dolls by the names that were given to them by the sisters. They even asked to go to a park that the family had never been to since the first girls had passed away. And then on top of that, they, the family believed that they had the same mannerisms and behaviors as their sisters. Like they liked the same games and the same foods. In one instance, their mother watched them play a game in which, and this is so creepy, I would literally die. Watch them playing a game where Jennifer laid on the floor with her head in Jillian's lap, pretending like she was dying. And her sister said, the blood is coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. I read 
about that, but it's still every time it's crazy to me. You read a story about the Pollock sisters? Yeah, remember that? I don't remember what that there was a book, book is called, but one of the books I have is all about reincarnation. And one of the stories was is the that sisters. story. Yeah. Yeah, they even said that the girls were terrified to cross the street. They yeah. wouldn't cross the street. And then at age five, the be- odd behavior stopped along with any sign that they were connected to their sisters. The girls grew up normal and happy kids. And that was it. Like, it was only from the time that they could start talking and walking until they were about five. Yeah. And for more information on the Pollock twins, see a book written by psychologist Dr. Ian Stevenson. He had been so interested in the girls and their story that he followed them all the way up until their parents' death and wrote about it in a book in 1987 called Children Who Remember Previous Lives, A Question of Reincarnation. Is that, do you think that's a book you read? Um, no, it's upstairs in my bed. Bedroom, oh, really? But, um, you no. still have it? Yeah. I haven't finished it. Like you've had it for like eight years. I know, but because then I keep getting distracted with other books that I start reading oh and God. working three jobs and doing a podcast. <laughs> well, now you have plenty of time because you have You're no right. job at You're all. Right. Next, we're going to jump all the way to Florida, St. Petersburg to be exact. On the morning of July 2nd, 1951, Pansy M. Carpenter, the landlady. Now, this is a creepy story and people are going to explain it away like sciencey stuff, sciencey people. But at the time when this happened, they had no explanation for it. But on the morning of July 2nd, 1951, Pansy M. Carpenter, the landlady to 67-year-old Mary Reeser, took a cup of coffee and a telegram she had signed for addressed to Mrs. Reeser upstairs to her room. After receiving no answer to her knocks, she reached for the door handle to see if it was unlocked. But the door handle was too hot to touch. Frantically, Pansy ran out to the street and grabbed two painters who were working next door to help her. They forced open the door, and inside they found the cremated remains of Mrs. Reeser. Most of her body in her armchair that she was last seen sitting in was completely in ashes. The only part of her body not charred into unrecognizable body parts was her backbone and her left foot, which was still in her slipper. Oh, God. So, like, her whole... Like, I can't even imagine being those painters that, like, ran in there, and, like, there's just a foot sitting there in a slipper. Like... That's I, it. I hate feet. I can't keep talking about feet. We have to move on. <laughs> I, I literally just forgot that right now. Like that, if I would have remembered that, I would have like really done a lot more at, like research. Just that made foot. me want to run out of this room. So <laughs> we've never talked about your like fear of feet. Like yeah. you're that. Like I need therapy. <laughs> See, finally, finally, we're we're telling your weaknesses instead of mine. Okay, well, so mine's hypochondriac, and you are toast. definitely afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I bumped you with my foot the other night and you almost started crying. I literally hyperventilated. <laughs> I ate it. Thank God we had Clorox wipes. I hate you it. could literally wipe down your entire body because I touched you with my toe. Also, what they um, found is um, they believe it was her skull. Now, I read further evidence that said that what they thought was her skull may not have been her skull. But at the time, they believed it was her skull that they found. And it was shrunken to the size of a teacup. But they figured out later that maybe it wasn't her skull at all. That it was maybe part of her spine that had like, I don't even want to go into it. But had like curled into itself. and kind of, Okay. i the, not following. I, they thought it was her skull, but... And it, but it it didn't make sense that it was her skull because it was shrunken to like the size of a teacup. Mm-hmm. So later, as people went back over the years and investigated it more and did more research, they figured out that that might not have been her skull. It might have been like a part of her spine that had like 
burned and curled up and kind of formed into a ball. Is that possible? I, I don't know. I, I said sciencey. I don't know. I'm not a sciencey person. The local police launched an investigation that became so bizarre and so far-reaching that the then-president Harry S. Truman got involved, and J. Edgar Hoover sent a team of FBI investigators. The investigators found that although her body was cremated, clearly from the fire, the rest of the room was unaffected for the most part. Only a few appliances had damage, and a socket had melted that had stopped her clock around 4 a.m., and police were baffled that a fire that caused so much damage to Mrs. Reeser the temperature had been estimated about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, could leave the rest of the house pretty much intact. The website anomalyinfo.com says that experts pointed out that a temperature of 2,500 degrees is necessary for thorough cremation. Not enough heat caused by a cigarette and that the electrical outlet that melted after the fire deemed was not the source. An FBI pathologist tested a carpet sample for any accelerant such as gasoline but found none. Some suggested that there was a lightning strike and there was no lightning detected. After many weeks of the investigation, it was ruled that her death had been due to the wick effect. Have you heard of that? No. Which I had to look it up on Wikipedia myself and this is what it says. The wick effect theory says a person is kept aflame through his or her own fats after being ignited accidentally or otherwise. The clothed human body acts like an inside-out candle with a fuel source, human fat, inside and the wick, the clothing of the victim, on the outside. Hence, there is a continuous supply of fuel in the form of melting fat seeping into the victim's clothing. Fat contains a large amount of energy due to the presence of long hydrocarbon chains. Ew. Yeah, this is all very gross. Apparently, the night before, her son Richard Reeser and Pansy had both left her around 9 o'clock at and at that time, she had been smoking a cigarette, and they know she had taken a sleeping pill. So did Mary Reiser spontaneously combust, or was her scientific reasoning correct and didn't seem, I don't, it doesn't seem like we'll ever know for sure, because now that they have more advanced technology, like, the evidence is gone. But there's been over 200 cases of human combustion. Ugh, God. Right? Just the fact that they kept saying fat in Wikipedia, like, your fat burns it, like... I feel like I would burn for like a hundred years. Taking a bit of a leap over to Chicago, which I've heard is very hard hit by the coronavirus right now. I mean, aside from Florida, we know Florida has been. And this is, is a story. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, Miss UFO. On November 7th, 2006, a ramp worker at Chicago O'Hare's International Airport spotted what was later described by not only him, but by pilots, airline management, team members, and mechanics on the tarmac as a dark gray saucer-shaped craft that was six feet in diameter and hovering. Some people said it was larger than six feet. Some said it was spinning, and others said they didn't notice any rotation, but a total of 12 United Airlines employees reported seeing the object over gate C-17. Obviously, a lot of claims of UFO sightings are often dismissed, but a Chicago Tribune reporter followed up on the story and said that seasoned pilots, airline management, and mechanics all came forward shaken by what they saw. In a quote from his article, it says, a United manager who said, I stood outside the gate area not knowing what to think, just trying to figure out what it was. The manager ran outside his offices in Concourse B after hearing the report about the sighting on an internal airline radio frequency. 
I knew no one would make a false call like that, but if somebody was bouncing a weather balloon or something else like that over O'Hare, we had to stop it because it was very close proximity to our flight operations. And then I went to the MUFON website. Remember Peter Davenport from our MUFON, our episode on Phoenix Heights? Yep. Um, I went over to see what he had to say about it. And he, it says, it, I, I highly recommend people go to the MUFON.com website and search the O'Hare airport. It says, um, Several independent witnesses outside of the airport also saw the object. One described a blatant, disc-shaped craft hovering over the airport, which was obviously not clouds. According to this witness, nearby observers gasped as the object shot through the clouds at high velocity, leaving a clear blue hole in the cloud layer. According to the Chicago Tribune's John Helkovich, who is the one who wrote the article, the disc was visible for approximately two minutes and was seen by close to a dozen United Airlines employees, ranging from pilots to supervisors, who heard the chatter on the radio and raced outside to see it. So far, no conclusive photographic evidence of the UFO has surfaced, which that bothers me. Weren't there cell phones in 2006? Yeah. So why does no one have pictures? I don't know. Well, actually, well, uh, the cell phone I had in 2006 didn't have a camera. It didn't have a camera at all? No. Your little pink flip phone? No, it didn't even have a front face on it, remember? But it seems like they still always had camera. It still had a camera. It did not have a camera. Really? Yeah. Anyways, they've never had a photograph of it. Um, Apparently, there was a United one United Airline pilot who had a digital camera at the time and may have photographed the event, but no one's ever seen it. Both United Airlines and the Federal Aviation Administration first denied that they had any information on the O'Hare UFO sighting until the, the Chicago Tribune, the writer, which was investigating the report, filed a Freedom of Information Act. Do you know what FOA or FOIA is? Mm-hmm. He filed a request. The FAA then ordered an internal review of air traffic communication tapes to comply with the Tribune's request, which subsequently uncovered a call by the United Supervisor to the FAA manager in the airport tower concerning the UFO. The FFA stance concludes that the sighting was caused by a weather phenomenon and that the agency would not be investigating the incident. UFO investigators have pointed out that this stance is a direct contradiction to the FFA FAA's mandate to investigate possible security breaches at all American airports, such as this case, an object witnessed by numerous airport employees and officially reported by at least one of them, which they think it was more like 12, hovering in plain sight over one of the busiest airports in the world. Many witnesses interviewed by the Tribune were apparently upset that the federal officials declined to further investigate the matter. Journalist Leslie Jean talked about the O'Hare sighting when she was promoting her book called UFOs. And I was going to tell you, you probably should read this book. UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government. It sounds kind of like a good book. Yeah, sounds interesting. Because we know that Grandpa should be in this book talking about what <laughs> he knows about UFOs. It's never going to happen. I, <sighs> Our last story takes place in Green... Briar County, West Virginia, and goes back to 123 years. On January afternoon in 1897, a neighborhood boy was sent by a husband to check on his wife. Now, this is a really cool story. This is back to our paranormal roots. So this man sends this little boy to check on his wife. Her name is Elva Zona Hester. The man, her husband, Aramis Shue, Aramis, I love that name, had sent the boy to see if she needed him to pick anything up at the market before he came home from work. He had El- He and Elva had only been married for three months. The boy, sadly, discovered the dead body of Elva. He ran to tell his mother what he had found, and his mother promptly alerted the local doctor by the name of Dr. Knapp. By the time Dr. Knapp arrived to examine the body, Aramis had come home and started to wash and prepare the body for burial before the doctor even got there. 
I wish people could see your face when we're doing this. God, not right now. I haven't changed in three days. <laughs> yeah, see, and you make fun of me. You're gross and haven't changed in three days. I have day pajamas and night pajamas. And I shower and change into my next shift. Yeah, okay. I literally had to go online at Target and order more pajamas today. So I have more day and more night. Okay. See, maybe you should be more like me. No. As Dr. Knapp began examining the body, anytime he tried to get near her head, Aramis would hinder it and cradle her head and cry and respond violently anytime the doctor came near her. After examining the rest of the body and finding nothing substantial, Dr. Knapp determined that the cause of death was everlasting faint. What is that? Uh, I miss, okay, so I tried to find everlasting faint, and there's not really a definition of it, but I'm going to go with the fact that it's everlasting and faint. It, it's like you're dead. You died by fainting. Well, you just stopped breathing, I guess. I don't okay. know. Which he later com- changed to complications from pregnancy is what he put on the death certificate. Apparently, Dr. Knapp had been treating her for a few weeks prior for what he described as female trouble, which I don't know why a pregnant woman, married pregnant woman, <laughs> why would they call it female trouble? But, you know, whatever. Her body was moved to her childhood home for burial. During the ceremony, people began to notice that she was acting rather strange. He was obsessing with her head and neck and wrapping her in a scarf that didn't match her dress. He insisted it was her favorite scarf and placing excess pillows around her head, claiming that he wanted her to rest comfortably. Most of the guests chalked it up to grief except for one, Elva's mama, Mary Jane. Elva's mother had never liked Shu and was convinced they had something to do with her death, even though there's no evidence. There was no evidence for that. Well, other than he the fact washed that he her. like a crazy person. She began praying for several weeks, and this is what she said, thinking she would hear or learn something. When she did, a month after the funeral, she claimed that Elva's ghost had appeared to her in dreams four nights in a row, telling her that her husband had choked her and broke her neck. And the reason was that he believed that she had not made any meat for dinner. The mother, Mary, told the local prosecutor what happened. And even though he was skeptical about trying to prosecute a case based on a dream and a ghost, he decided to at least talk to the doctor because the mother was so insistent like my daughter came to me and said her husband killed her so he went and talked to the doctor he then learned that doctor had not been able to examine the victim's neck or head so he decided to reopen the case an autopsy which they exhumed her into an autopsy showed that the first and second vertebrae in hester's neck were broken and that her windpipe was crushed there were also finger marks on her neck indicating that she had been strangled when the case went to trial mary jane the mom serving as a prosecution star witness Preston tried to not bring up the ghost dream, thinking that the defense would tear her apart and make her seem like an unreliable witness. But to his surprise, the defense, when the defense brought it up, the jury was actually receptive. They believed the mom and they believed that the girl came to her and told her that her husband killed her. They um, convicted. It only took an hour and 30 minutes to come back and give a guilty verdict on Aramis Shu. He was sentenced to life in prison and died in 1900 from measles and pneumonia. Mary wasn't the only deciding factor in the jury's decision, though. Shu hadn't been too charming and made a bad impression on them, and he had a history of domestic abuse and violence. But the case of the Greenbrier ghost was the first time ghost testimony came into play in a murder trial. Has it ever since? I can't find It's a first time, so there must be other instances. So maybe that's something that we look... Maybe we'll look into that. Find out how many times a ghost could help. I mean, I doubt it. No, I'm sure there's other times. The the jury believed her. They didn't think it would. From green kids to UFOs and ghosts, this world is full of strangeness. Much like what we're going through now is strange and unsettling. We can always choose not necessarily what we go through, but how we go through it. Remember, kindness goes a long way. Check on a neighbor, call a friend, recommend a podcast. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Amazon is hiring near you. Start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Earn an additional $2 an hour through April. Health and safety are a top priority with all our roles and sites. And Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Learn more or find a job now at Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.